0: Welcome back! My name is Alicia. And I'm Liv. And you're listening to TBR. The podcast where we both drink and spill the tea on books from your TBR lists. And this episode we will be reviewing the first half of Serpent and Dove by Shelby Morin. Yes, and later this week we will be reviewing the second half. Yes. So you won't have to wait too long. No. (laughs) So before we get started, let's do our little TBR check-in. How's your week been? How are you going? Well, I recently just finished Serpent and Dove, obviously, because we're reviewing it. Great start. Really great start. (laughs) It was a great start to the week, and yeah, I've pretty much just been chilling. It's been so hot, so I don't think I've done heaps outside other than swimming in the pool like two days ago. Hmm. What about you? Yeah, it's been pretty chill. I've been working heaps. The Christmas present that my sister bought for me didn't arrive in time for Christmas, so she gave it to me last week. And she bought me the last book in the Stalking Jack the Ripper series. And we all know how much I love Stalking Jack the Ripper. Yes. So I've started rereading the series all over again just to like... Wow. ...get into it. Yeah, so much time. Oh, no. Oh. No, I have so little sleep oh. is the real thing. Mm. Understood, understood. But what are your plans for reading next? Like, what's your next read? Well, I'm going to read Blood and Honey. Mm-hmm. But I've actually heard that it's a little bit underwhelming. Compared to Serpent and Dove. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I probably have to prep myself a little bit, but I still want to read it, you know, for consistency-wise and give you guys our real honest opinions, even if they're brutal or even if they're a bit uh, disappointing. A little bit of a flashback to Dash and Lily's Book of Des. Yeah, or like uh, Siege and Storm. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. So what's your next read? Which book are you up to in the Jack the Ripper series? So... I started hunting for Dracula this morning. Yep. And I'm like three quarters through. Oh, wow. So I am pretty much done with that. So I'll finish that off tonight and then I'll start escaping from Houdini tomorrow. Ooh, I'm excited for you. Yes. And then I've got a day off from work on Wednesday. So I'm just going to spend the day reading. It's going to be amazing. That's so good. I'm so excited for you. So what tea are you drinking? I am drinking vanilla chai tea with some honey stirred in it smells amazing I love a good chai well it is homemade honey wow from our bees wow I haven't been able to see your bees yet no you haven't yeah your dad's very proud of them oh yeah yeah I'll have to wait for him otherwise he'll cry if he finds out you've showed the bees to me oh 100% yeah (laughs) But either way, it's quite nice honey, so I've stirred it in, and we're going to see how it goes. Amazing. What about you? What are you drinking? I'm drinking orange and cinnamon tea, because I think cinnamon appears, like, at a few places in the book, so I just felt like it matched the vibe. And it tastes very underwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay. (laughs) I can't really taste the orange. Orange. I know, that's the tea that I drank for, I think it was Akatar. Yeah. And I was like... Eh. It does make you feel nice and warm, though, but I do take a little bit to get used to cinnamon, so that might be why. Maybe. Yeah. It is quite hot here at the moment. I think it's, what, 37 degrees today? Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. So that's 98, 99 degrees Fahrenheit. It doesn't sound very hot. It's almost at 100. Yeah, I guess, but... You know that song, Hot-Blooded, where it's like, I got a fever of 103. That's a fever, if it's 103. That's like four degrees Fahrenheit from a fever. It's pretty hot. I mean, I know it's pretty hot. I'm sweating. Yeah. But, I don't know, it just sounds not as hot as I was expecting. Yeah. I think it was going to be like 175 yeah. Fahrenheit. Yeah. We don't understand the Fahrenheit system. No. <laughs> Sorry. Or the feet system. Maybe. My issue is that I when cooking... When using recipes, it's always at, like, well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It's like 360 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm like, yeah, chill, chill. Yeah, it's like 360 (laughs) degrees here. We're roasting little ducks just sitting here recording the podcast. (laughs) That would be 180 degrees Celsius. Wow. So, shall we get started then? Yes, let's get started. And again, like every episode, there'll be major spoilers, so listen with caution, I guess, if you haven't read the book yet, but... There won't be any spoilers for the next book, because I actually haven't read it yet, so... But then again, we don't give spoilers usually for the next books in the series. No, definitely not. So, yeah, just proceed with caution. Okay, so another disclaimer. This book is set in somewhat of a fictional France. Yes. So a lot of the names are French. I don't speak French. I am not a native speaker. You're not fluent. (laughs) I don't speak French at all. (laughs) You started off so strong, you're like, I'm not native. I do love French accents, though. I feel like maybe that's not the same thing. No, definitely not. So please don't come at us if we pronounce things wrong. You can let us know. Contact us on any of our social media platforms, obviously. And so for the next one, next week, we will be able to pronounce it a lot better. Fingers crossed. Yes. We did look, though, and there was no pronunciation guide on the back of the book. So we're just going to do our best. Disappointing. Yes. I mean, we did do French in primary school, but that was quite a while ago. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was a long time ago. La baguette. Le pain. Le pain au chocolat. As we mentioned, the book is set in somewhat of a fictional France, and the place is called Belterra. Yes. That's obviously got an Australian accent. I just feel like I'm pronouncing it wrong. Maybe it's like Belterra? That's how we're going to pronounce it. Yes. And then the capital city is called the city of Cesarine. So the book begins by saying, There's something haunting about a body touched by magic. Most people first notice the smell, not the rot of decay, but the cloying sweetness in their noses, a sharp taste on their tongues. I really like the first line. Oh, it pulled me in instantly. The language. Love it. Yeah, I thought it was super great. I was like, damn, it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. So yes, we get introduced to this idea of magic and you can smell it when it's present. Yeah, just a casual little bit of magic witch (laughs) (laughs) B.O. But it's not B.O. B.O. It's M.O. It's magic (laughs) odour. But it's not like odour gives the impression that it's really bad. Doesn't it taste like sweet, like cinnamon or something? Yes, scent. It's the MS. <laughs> the magic, <laughs> magic scent. <laughs> scent. Them stinky witches. <laughs> a little bit of a pong there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we find out that very recently 13 bodies have been found in Belterra over the past year, and the church has been trying to cover it up. However, the main suspect is witches killing people. Yes. And so we get introduced to the protagonist, because it's in first person, and so she's with her friend Coco, and they're actually watching a man called Pierre Tombele in the corner of the brothel. So they're in a brothel already, so I guess it's kind of like, is it 1800s? I got the impression it is. Yeah. And so the main character and her bestie Coco are actually just casually waiting for someone called Babette during this brothel scene that's unfolding in front of them. Yes. And we also find out that allegedly Tom daughter, Philippa, was the seventh body found. So, Tom the aristocrat is having a really bad week. Straight up, I'm picturing Tom as um, I can't remember his name, but you know Disney's version of Aristocats. I've never seen <laughs> it. I'm sure everyone else has it's except for me. It's magnificent. You know the songs though. I wish I did. It's the only cat I wish no, I did. Oh, it <laughs> keeps going. No, but you'd know <laughs> <laughs> no, the. The Apeggio song. Apeggio? <laughs> yeah, I know what an Apeggio is. Okay. But it's just like. Your Apeggios. I wish. It's literally your kind of movie. Oh my gosh, I need to check it out. Anyway, so I'm picturing. Tom Blair's like russety colored cat. Amazing. And he just like, feel like he might play the saxophone. In the really brothel. Remember. And he's like, my daughter, <laughs> she's the seventh victim. <laughs> it's been about a bad week for me. <laughs> Literally. Oh, goodness. Yeah, anyways. Babette finally appears, and we finally learn that the protagonist's name is actually Louise, but she's called Lou for short. I like the name Lou. Yeah, I like her when a name that's traditionally for a girl can be shortened, and it's kind of like... Could be either. Yeah, exactly. I really like Charlie. Mm. That's my favorite name. And I've recently been really liking Dylan. Dylan! I like Tyler. Mmm, that's a nice name. Tyler's cool. Anyone who has those names, good job to your parents. Yeah, or Lou. Lou's cool too. Lou is very cool. Yeah. Anyways... Lou basically tells Babette that they're there for Tombley and Lou's basically like, we'll give you 10 gold corones for info about Tombley I think? Yeah. We coincidentally find out that the reason Lou wants to suss out Tombley is that he has a special ring that she's after. Yes, but we don't know that much about the ring yet. It's and, just a little pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's very pretty. And all of a sudden, this just random woman appears, as they do, in a brothel, and she kind of goes towards Tombley and starts, like, you know, flirting with him, grabbing his arms, kissing his cheeks, and we find out that her name is actually Madame LaBelle. I think she owns the brothel. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, she wasn't just a rando. She's a business lady. She is. Yes. So, Babette kind of... I don't know, up sales a little bit. She bargains with them and says that if they don't give her 10 more Coronas, which is the currency of their town, she's going to, I guess, spill that they were at the brothel spying on Tomblay. Yeah, I think so. I think that she's basically like, um, I might accidentally slip and tell every single person in the town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, we don't want everyone to know, like, that's embarrassing, like, (laughs) sneaking on tomblé. Not even embarrassing, more like, they'll all know they're after the ring, and they want to keep it super hush-hush. Oh yeah, very true. That too, I guess. But also it's a brothel. And Babette leads them to this weird hallway where there's all these portraits of these past famed courtesans, and Lou looks a little bit closer and she realises where the eyes are of each portrait. They're like little peepholes. Which is creepy in itself. So creepy. But again, they're at a brothel. Babette's pretty much like, uh, these are the eyes and the ears, so keep hush-hush, because everything you say and do will be held against you in a court of law. Yes, exactly. And so while Lou's being freaked out, in her peripheral vision, she sees two men. And we find out that their names are Andre and Gru. And Lou is not very happy that they're there because I think she has some bad history with them. Oh, definitely. But we don't know what it is. No, not yet. And she's basically like, "Uh, what are you guys doing here? This is my secret peephole room. Like <laughs> why are you guys here? And Babette's like, uh, they actually work for me like as security guards. Either way, Lou's like, this is not a vibe, but I will do what I have to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they're looking through the portrait slash peep holes or whatever, and Lou's watching Tomblay with Madame Labelle. He pretty much confirms he has the ring. He's like, yeah. Yeah, he was doing the single Ladies Dance. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. He was like, Yeah, look, I might have something like that in my possession. Yeah. And I actually think that Madame LaBelle somehow makes eye contact with Lou, and Lou, like, falls over and she's like, she's seen me, and that kind of stuff, and Coco's like, oh my god. And then Madame LaBelle's like, and where is it? And he's like, it's in my townhouse. Oh, it's just in my condo. Yeah, and Lou's like, check, that's the info we want. Let's get out of here. Yes, exactly. So now they're on a mission. We're not too sure as to why this ring is so important yet. We just know that it's like a Lord of the Rings situation where it does something. The ring. It's the ring of the book. So later on, Lou and Coco are just chilling and eating sticky buns at this local pâtisserie. Oh! She's French. (laughs) And then their friend Baz rocks up and immediately we get the sense that there's like, not tension, but I think a really strange familiarity, or maybe he's like a slight outsider but also an insider. He's definitely third wheeling Coco and Lou. Yes. But Coco's also third-wheeling, Lou and Baz. Yes, because there was intense sexual tension a while ago. Yeah, they were like, I'm pretty sure they were friends with benefits when Lou first moved to Cesarine. And so they kind of tell Baz what's going on, like their plan, and Baz is like, surely I get in on it. We also get the sense that Baz isn't the most trustworthy, so they're kind of hesitant. They're like, oh, I guess like if you really want to help, I guess we need your help. So, Mm, I get the impression they're kind of like a dynamic trio. Yeah. But not really. Like, I think when they need backup, they always call Baz. Yeah. Anyway, and Coco and Lou are basically like, Baz, please come help get the ring. You can literally pocket everything from Tremblay's vault. Yeah. Uh, We just want the ring. Yeah, exactly. And we find out that Lou very often dresses as this kind of character, Lucinda Breton, who's like a blonde. Um, in order to get free sticky buns, yeah, from the man running the patisserie, like I think she's got a real system going on. She like goes in and she's like, "Well, hi there," and like, yeah, <laughs> she's her curls. All the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. She's got to get in character. Either way, he has a bit of a weakness for the fairer sex, allegedly. Yeah. So he's always like giving her some free sticky buns. Yeah, exactly. And then when Lou wants to get, you know, down to business, actually, like corporately, she dresses up as a man. Yes, it's a man's world. Yeah, exactly. Especially at that time. We hate that. We do. We don't stand. It's rude, but you know what? We'll excuse it. Anyways, so obviously, in this mission, she's gonna dress up as a man at this whatever event that they have to, like, sneak into. Well, I think she's currently dressed as a man. To get them sticky buns. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, this is where we find out the significance of the ring. Firstly, it grants you invisibility powers, yeah, but i it's something weird, like it has to be inside you or something weird like that, yeah, it has to be like in your mouth, I think, Yeah, because, I mean spoiler alert later on when they do find the ring, Lou has to put it in her mouth for it to be invisible, yeah, it's like a little iron tablet, That's a little literally supplement, so weird, yeah. What if you accidentally swallowed it? What if it's not hygienic? You've got to carry hand sanitizer with you all the time, and then it tastes Coronavirus. disgusting. Coronavirus. And then, secondly, the ring also grants you basically immunity from magic. Yes. And Baz is like, I don't care about that, but I still want to go. Yeah, pretty much. He's a bit of a loner, but also I think he likes the riches that he could potentially get He's from. He's definitely Pompeii. like a thief. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They all are. Like, they're, they're all street thieves. kiddos. Yeah, they are street kiddos. They're pretty cool. And they plan to steal the ring the night of the King's Ball. Yes, because everyone will be out of the Homblé townhouse. Yeah, and so as they're discussing this, they're like, oh, but what about the chasseurs? Yes. And we find out that the chasseurs are essentially like huntsmen for the church. Yeah, So they their role is kind of to protect the general public, and they hunt witches. Yes, especially. Like, that's the difference between them and, like, security or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like military, but for witches exclusively. Specifically, yes. yes. And Lou like stresses a little bit, but then she's like, nah, look, it's fine. I've pretty much left my life as a witch behind. The chasseurs will have no issue with me. Yeah, exactly. She's going to be real lurky. They exactly. won't smell her uh, witch body odor. <laughs> her stanky witch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so after this, they all agree and they decide to meet at the theater in an hour. Yes, they're like this is when it's gonna go down. Yes. So as Lou's leaving their little meeting, she bumps into this like incredibly huge guy. He's like super tall, quite muscly, and she's like, "You sir are a brick wall." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, she pretty much has to push past him because he, for some reason, I think he just doesn't see her or something. Anyway, and he accidentally elbows her in the face and she's like you're so rude and he's like oh i'm so sorry monsieur then she realizes he's a chasseur yes but like a really pretty chasseur a pretty chasseur she's like oh he has coppery gold hair like damn. hot damn and then her mustache falls off <laughs> yeah. and he's like You're not a man, Yeah, you're a lady. You are a lady with sticky buns all over your (laughs) moustache. But he's kind of intrigued, I think, and he's also probably a bit angry, like, who is this woman just, like, pushing past me? With a moustache. Yeah, with a moustache. And he basically still has a hold of her, because I don't think he grabbed her straight away, I think he had her, like, in his arms already, and he just wouldn't let go, and he's kind of like, uh, what are you doing? Literally. I think he's like, why are you dressed as a man? And she's like, well, have you ever worn a corset? Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh, oh how scandalous to speak of corsets. Yeah, I only do things. that on Saturday nights at the brothel. <laughs> Anyways, and so obviously she's angry and she's like, let me go. Like, you made me break my ass bone. And Literally. He, yeah. He is shocked that she said the A word. <laughs> Arse. I guess they're so... Again, it was set... Theoretically, it was set so long ago that women using such crude and foul language were like so scandalous. Yeah, they were so conservative then. Yes. Anyway, and she takes advantage of the shock and she gets away. And she's like getting away quickly, and she notices the family of King August are passing in their carriage. And all of a sudden, people start screaming, and Lou smells magic. Yes. What a thrilling beginning. Yes, I was drawn in straight away. I really liked the way that everything was set up. I liked the slight confrontation that we got like a little tease in. And I like how everything that is necessary for me to know at that time was already said. Like they didn't drill information into me that was going to be used in like the last chapter. Like everything was there with a purpose. Yes, I do find it difficult sometimes when they're super heavy on the world building at the beginning of the book. Yes. And I feel like it just introduced the right amount of info. Yeah, because it's like, oh, and then there's the chasseurs, and then we meet a chasseur. Like, it all yeah, makes yeah. sense. I like that. Baby steps. B- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Baby steps. We don't need no, like, diving into the world straight away, like, knowing all these terminologies. Exactly. And then we switch perspectives to Reed, who we can only assume is the chasseur from before. Yes, because he's also in the crowd. And he seems a little, like, sainty. Like, I don't think he seems as aggressive in his own perspective. Yeah, anyway, and he, like, He's running, because obviously, as a chasseur, he needs to hunt these witches that are just everywhere now, apparently. And he trips over this elderly woman, and he's like, oh my god, here, let me help you up. And she's like, god bless you, you magnificent soul. Yes. And then she leaves, and after she leaves, reads like, do I smell some bio? Do I smell stanky witch? I think I do. And he's like, darn, I literally just let a witch go. Yep. Yeah. So stupid of me. (sighs) And so after she leaves, he gets a sense that there's like a lot of magic around. Oh, yeah. And so he's put together that all these witches that he can't quite spot yet are advancing towards the royal family or their carriage. Yes. And he's like, this is kind of weird. Witches don't usually attack like they are now. I'm going to head onto the roof and try and see the bigger picture. Yeah. So he like climbs up and he spots Lou up there. And she's like, oh, shit. And he's like, I'ma follow her, and he just like climbs up. But also, I get the impression he's like low key afraid of heights. Yeah. So he's like breathing heavily and not vibing. Anyway, he finally gets to the roof. Lou's gone. He can't see her anymore. But he looks out and he makes the connection that all these witches are actually distraction for what's actually happening. Yes. And then he spots that elderly lady that he helped before doing like witchy, magicy movements and things. Oh, big ones. I think she's, like, orchestrating the whole thing. Yeah, she's the leader. Exactly. And he's like, ah, heck. And he, like, heads on down. And he pretty much tackles her. He's, like, laughing. And she's like, oh, ho, 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 ho. Because apparently she's Santa now. Anyway. And (laughs) he's about to, like, stab her, I think. And she somehow transforms herself to look really youthful. And he's, like, staring. And he's like, oh, my God. Because also I think she's makes herself look pregnant as well, and he's like, I can't kill a pregnant woman. Yeah, like vulnerable and like beautiful. And he's like, oh my god. Anyway, she takes this opportunity to disappear. Yes. And it's also here that we find out that the Chasseurs are immune to magic, so they can't be like... Manipulated. Yes. Yeah. Because of their balisadas. Yes. And those are like magic knife thingies, I think. Yeah. They're like the ring, I guess. Like, they're kind of a similar vibe. Yeah, so I think the thing is, there's only 100 balisadas at one time for 100 chasseurs. Yes. So only when an old chasseur dies, or like revokes his position as a chasseur, he passes his balisada onto the next chasseur. Yes. So it's like the sacred blade of the chasseur. So now, we're at the archbishop's office, and we find out that the king and his entire family did manage to escape, but... It was actually quite bad because some others were not so lucky and they were heavily injured. I feel like some people could have even died, but like I don't know if we have confirmation on that. Yeah, it was just a bloodbath mm. for no apparent reason. Like it's very ambiguous as to why everything went down the way it did. Yes, and Reed feels really guilty for it. He just feels really bad because he's like, oh, I did such a bad job. But the archbishop's like, the king is so impressed by you, bruh. He's gonna hold a ball in your honor. Whoa! And Reed's like, I can't accept, really, because I had a bit of a moment. Yeah, but Reed's just one man. Like, he's literally one guy, and he was like climbing buildings and stuff to get a better view. I mean, we also find out now that he's the captain of the Chasseurs. Mm. So like he was supposed to be leading the whole team. Right, and he was meant to stab the witch, and then he uh
1: exactly out of it.
0: And the Archbishop is basically like, yeah, I heard about you with your little mishap with the witch. Jean-Luc told me. Mm. Jean-Luc, who is He's Reed's like best He's, best friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. But then the Archbishop's like, don't worry, bro, wicked are the ways of women, especially a witch. Yes. The fact that he thinks all women are wicked... Yeah. ...wicked women, I'm telling you. Right. And also that men have no control when they're around women because they have some sort of powers. Like, no, we're just great. Exactly. We're just fantastic. The fact that, I just cannot get over the fact that they're like, men could not possibly be at fault. Women, wicked. Instantly. Right? Like, women can be wicked, but men can be dicks. Yeah. And the Archbishop basically lets Reed know that he thinks the old crone who transformed into the young woman might be la dame de saucières, aka Morgane Leblanc, who is like, The mother of all witches. Yeah, she the queen of them witches. Exactly. And then they have sort of like a father and son awkward conversation, because I think Reed's still feeling quite bad. He's like, I can't believe I let them, I can't believe I've done this, you know, basically. And the Archbishop is like, all right, time for the talk. Witches are bad, and they're very sexual beings, and they distract you, and like lure you sexually. And so, obviously, this is very confronting for Reed, because they're not meant to really be thinking about that sort of stuff, and especially as captain of the Chasseurs, they're meant to lead a life of self-restraint, and they're not meant to be tested by women. Like, they will be, but they're not meant to give in to it at all. I mean, especially witches, because they see witches literally as things. Yeah, They're not even like her, they're just like it. Yeah, there are no pronouns. So the fact that he was a little bit lured in by that witchy gal from before... Archbishop is like, yo, we got to have a talk, son. Yeah, exactly. And the Archbishop is basically like, right, if you can't get over this witch thing, like if you cannot get a hold of yourself, you need to take a wife. And he's like, I will beg your pardon, a, a wife? Woman, a wo- a disgusting. woman? Disgusting. Literally disgusting. But then as he's thinking about this, we get a little flashback, I guess, Of a scene with him and this woman called Silly. And she's basically saying, like, we cannot be together because I'll distract you. I'm not good for you. I'm not good for your ranking or whatever. You need to forget me. And they seem to be in, like, a really intense conversation. And Reed seems to be quite distraught. I think she's more like, we just won't work out. Like, you should give your heart to the chasseurs because I know that's what you love. Like, that kind of thing. And yeah, he's kind of just thinking about how... He promised he would never forget Celie, and, you know, in doing so, he's like, I'm never ever going to marry anyone but her. Yeah, he's quite focused on that. And we don't even know where Celie is. Is she dead? We don't know. We don't know. Anyways, as he's kind of doing this flashback, we enter into real time now, and a young man enters. Yes, his name is Ansel. Yes. And he's 16. And since he's, like, a bit young to be a chasseur... He's actually apprenticing, and yeah, he's waiting for one of them older ones to die <laughs> off. <laughs> He's—I bet you Ansel's like secretly hatching a plan. He's like, I'm gonna slit their throat in their sleep. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna pick whoever I think is gonna die first. Death's Reed, so I'm a—I'm uh, <laughs> a follow him around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and Ansel basically comes in and he's like, "Hey, so to interrupt my friends, but I just got this note. There's a lady outside saying that there's gonna be a witch in the West End tonight near Brindle Park." Yes. And he also gives them a letter, and the Archbishop reads it, but we don't know what the letter says, but it gets him real mad, and he throws the letter into the fireplace, and reads like, you okay, bruh?" He's literally like, what the fuck? Maybe he got rejected. (laughs) Maybe Madame Whatever from the brothel was like, I cannot see you tonight, I'm working. Madame LaBelle? Yeah, whoever, whichever Madame works at the brothel, and Archbishop's just like, damn it! Anyways, after he throws the angry letter into the fire. He tells everyone to assemble a team to find this witch and bring it back alive. Yes. And at this point we switch back to Lou's perspective and they're like plowing on through to Tomblai's estate, pretty much. And Lou's really nervous about the magic because she's basically been abstaining from... You know, doing magic for years now, I think. Yeah, it's like the more you do it, the easier it comes. Mm. Anyway, and she's also nervous she's just going to get like picked up for it or whatnot. And Coco's basically like, don't worry, Lou, the brindled Trees mask magic. No one will know it, like you're casting magic. Exactly. And Coco also just mentioned, she's like, I had a vision that there's something waiting for you at this place that we're about to go to. And then... Lou's kind of like, what? And she's like, oh, but is prop's going to be the ring. Like, it's fine. And Lou's like, oh, okay. And was <laughs> so like, but it also might not be. So, yeah. uh just be careful. I just have a feeling someone's waiting for you. That's literally terrifying. Right? That's creepy. And she doesn't even know. I'm like, a vision, you're meant to see stuff. Like, is it just a feeling that you have that something's waiting for your best friend. Like, Lou's running the show, though. She is running the show, that's true. She's the boss. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and Tomblai's estate has a bunch of dogs, like, guarding it, and Coco's like, it's okay, I got this. And she her arm open and uses a bit of her blood, because somehow her blood mixed with lavender acts as a sedative. So she feeds it to the dogs, and the dogs, yet yeah, they're out to it. Yes. And you know, at the same time this is kind of all happening... Lou starts to see these patterns uh, in the air in front of her, I guess. So this is how magic works in this book. So I think she kind of sees these gold chain kind of situations in her vision. And in order to cast a spell, she has to link chains in a certain way. Or like ribbons, I guess. So kind of like you can connect things to create a certain pattern. But you must always sacrifice things. Like, for example, if Lou wanted to turn the guy's eyes over the road blue she would have to give up the blue of her eyes what goes up must come down it's kind of like that exactly like there has to be a consequence yeah anyway and i don't know the more lou uses her magic she becomes a bit testy i guess like baz says something and she's like just back up bruh." in her mind and then she's like no baz is your friend stop being rude i don't know it's a bit of a weird scene. It's probably quite exhausting and stressful too, but yeah, it does something like takes over her and it's very confusing. Definitely. Anyway, she ends up using her patterns to break the lock, um, shutting the estate. So they all head forward and then they run into an actual guard and she does a little bit of flirty flirty and then she uses these patterns again to knock out the guards. Yes, and then they finally find the vault. And so they pick the lock, and inside they find the ring, just ceremoniously, just there. And so she puts it on her finger. Yeah, and I think they're all like, woo, we totally did this. And then they start to hear some noises, and I think Baz looks out the window and he's like, oh, crap, the chasseurs are here. Yes. And Baz is in it for himself, obviously. Because, oh, 100%. Yeah. He's there like, hey, Lou, my bestie Lou, uh, you want to do some magic patterns and stuff and get us out of here? And Lou's like, I literally have no more magic to give you. <laughs> She's like, I can't. I'm so exhausted. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And he's like, okay, uh, great. Well, I'll catch you later then. And yeah. he just runs off. Bye. Even though Lou's like so weak. Mm. And then we switch to Reed's perspective again. And they're kind of all down the base of the estate, I guess. And he's speaking to Madame Tomblai. And she's like, my place smells like magic, but we don't do magic, never. We're like Lord-abiding citizens. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure we got you, bro, don't worry. We're going to fix this for you. Then Madame Tomblai is like, Madame Labelle, why are you here? And Madame LaBelle's like, oh, I was just passing by, you know, I heard something going down. Mm. We definitely get the impression here that Madame LaBelle ratted out Lou and Coco. Yes. And and Baz. Yeah. I mean, they did say that they couldn't trust her, and she does not do anything by her word ever, so Mm. you would have expected it. And then all of a sudden, things go crazy. Like, I think all these guards are, like, shouting and stuff. All these chasseurs are, like, everywhere, and they're like, there's been a thief. A thief has infiltrated... This estate. And so obviously Reed's like, Oh my gosh, I need to do my job. Like this is my this is my time to shine. And so he's looking around and he spots Lou on the roof and he remembers her from the parade. And he's like, I smell like vanilla and cinnamon. Like she gives me vanilla cinnamon vibes, but not like magic vibes. Mm. So he's like positive that she's definitely not a witch. Yeah, but Jean-Luc is like, nah, we should defs interrogate them. Like, she might be one. And Reed's like, nah, she's not, I promise you. And he's like, no, 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 let's just do this. We can (laughs) do it. And Baz ends up getting caught. And he's like, Lou, Lou. And Lou's like, what the fuck? Yeah, uh, I guess we should interrogate her. And Lou's kind of just, like, frozen there. She's like, damn it, Baz. Exactly. Anyway, and Reed sees Lou again. And he's pretty much like, come down right now. We need to question you, and he just, you know, plans to ask where the witch is and all that stuff. And we switch back to Lou's perspective, and she shoves the ring in her mouth, and she just turns invisible. Yes, and Coco sees this. They catch up like as she's escaping, and Coco's like, "Neat trick, brother." <laughs> and Lou's like, "Oh my God, you're alive!" Yeah, and because they were separated excited. before, obviously. Right. So it's very exciting, and they're like, "Oh, where's Baz? Oh, he's caught." Oh well, the ring we find out was Angelica's ring. So it belonged to this woman called Angelica, and she fell in love very deeply, but then it didn't work out, and the story goes that her tears flooded, like, everything around her, and so she threw her ring into the water, and then herself into the water too, and it's like a super sad story. Yeah, I think it's like quite a well-known fable, but not really a fable, because obviously the ring is still... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so Coco's like, uh, we should probably go right now because the constabulary saw me and so I've gotta i gotta escape. But we should separate. Because this way one of us will be safe. Exactly. And Lou's like heading off and then she bumps into Andre and Gru again, who were those guys who were security from before. And there's basically a bit of confrontation and they end up having like a little bit of a fight. Lou gets caught by the chessers. Yes. So eventually, they kind of, like, catch her, but then she overpowers them, and basically, she's, like, a badass. She's, like, fighting and all that until she's in the dominant position, and they kind of beg her. They're like, oh, no, 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 please. I was, like, kidding. We're besties, right? Like, remember that time at the brothel? And so she just runs away because her point is not to attack them. Her point is just to get away. So she runs to where she's currently staying which is the theater rafters and she cleans herself up a little bit and just tries to get some rest so we switch back to Reed's perspective and him and Jean-Luc are fighting like practicing and they're talking about what happened in the night and you know the thief and the witch and whatnot and just gossiping in general and Jean-Luc has been a real dick like he's like oh are you sad that you disappointed the archbishop or are you disappointed that you might have or are you sad that you might have disappointed Celie?" and all that, and Ansel's like, yo, stop, be nice to Reed, he did the best he could. I love Ansel. (laughs) He's my favourite character in the book, to be honest. He's so cute. And we also kind of work out that Reed, like, has some low-key, high-key anger management issues.
1: He's doing, like, some
0: breathing exercises. Either way, he's obviously not very good at controlling his anger. Yeah. And then casually, the Archbishop just walks past this very, very tense room, and is like, yo, bro. Reed, my man, you want to go to the theatre with me? And Reed's like, I guess. (laughs) Reed does seem like a theatre guy. Not like a theatre theatre guy, but like he'd really enjoy watching a good play. Yeah, the opera. Shakespeare. Shakespeare, he'd love a good Shakespeare. Mm. So we switch back to Lou's perspective, and she's waking up from a really restless night of sleep. And... There's a performance going on downstairs, and she's like, oh, great, And I'm stuck up here. because I obviously can't escape while everyone's still down there. Yeah, that's usually what she does, though. Exactly. So she kind of tries to head down, but then another girl sees her, and she's like, oh, my God, your face is so messed up. Like, what happened? Are you okay? Can I help you? Yeah. And Lou's like, oh, no, you know, it's all good. Thank you so much. You know, it's chill. And the other girl's like, here, let me help you backstage. And Lou's like, thank you so much. And as Lou's going backstage to, like, duck around everyone, she bumps into the copperhead chasseur Reed. Yes, and he's like, "You are the person who escaped last night." What are you doing here? Yes, and she's like, "Uh huh, go away. I need to leave." And he's like, "No, no, you stay here," and they kind of get into a bit of a fight. Either way, they end up tumbling on stage. And he's essentially pinning her down. And everyone in the audience is like, scandalous! Yes, because at that time, that is super, super inappropriate and scandalous. Yes, but they're mainly mad at Reed. They're like, how dare he lay hands on a lady? Like... It's yeah, exactly. not even his wife and stuff like that. Right, and she already has all these like scars and bruises and stuff on her face, so it just looks really, really bad for Reed. Yes. The Archbishop's probably in the audience, like enjoying a nice show, and then all of a sudden it's like, There's my son like person, just mm. like, there, oh, I don't know him. Yeah, everyone's kind of not really happy. And the archbishop ends up stepping in and he's like, uh, you're a thief, I want to arrest you. However, I'm sure we could make a little arrangement. And Lou's like, yeah, what you got in mind, bruh? And the Archbishop is like, well, if you and Captain Diggory get married, technically it's fine. You won't have to go to jail, we'll keep hush-hush. And Reed is not portrayed as abusive. Yes, because apparently if you're married, then a man is allowed to raise his hand to his wife. Yes, because you're allowed to discipline your wife or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Lou just does a quick little throw-up. Perhaps because, I don't know, maybe she's concussed or something. I think she, I feel like she could be. Yeah. I think she just, that's just like uh, something she does. She's like, this is a lot. (laughs) A bit of a vom. A bit of a vom. And the Archbishop's like, he's just angry about the whole thing. He's probably like, read and I have to get you out of it. And Reed's basically just like, all right, I mean, I guess this is the only option at this point, so I'll do it if you do it. I'll jump if you jump. To be fair, it's so much worse for Reed, I feel like, because the whole public thinks he's, like, abusive. Right. Whereas Lou could literally just disappear. And so now we're back on Reed's perspective. He kind of has flashbacks again about Celie just saying to forget her. And this is just running in his mind all the time, I guess. It's just playing on repeat because I think he, he feels fe- guilty. Yeah, because I, I feel like he's really feeling like he's betrayed Celie. Because yeah. he's like, I won't marry you But, you know, I promise that I'm just going to give my heart to my job. And now he's like, yeah, no, it's chill. I'm just going to marry another woman. I know. And I also feel like he feels like he's been wronged. Like, it's like, why me? I'm literally trying to do my job, you know? And now I have to marry this woman, even though I told the last one I wasn't going to marry anyone else, you know? Mm. And then the Archbishop's basically like, all right, everyone, let's round this up. Let's do this right now. Lou needs to be baptized. Otherwise, this marriage ain't happening. And then, this is, like, the weirdest thing ever, I suspect Lou used her magic, but since it's told from Reed's perspective, we just don't know. Either way, the Archbishop just lets one rip, like a (laughs) big old fart. Exactly. And Lou's, like, having a grand old time laughing, and she's like, oh, come on, lighten up Shas to Reed, and she just thinks it's hilarious, and Reed's like, as my wife, you gotta respect that man... And you got to respect and obey me. My boy Archie. Exactly. And she's like, "But do I really? And he's like, uh, yes, you do. Yes. Yeah. And so basically they go to the baptism. And I feel like the Archbishop dunks Lou into the holy water just a little bit too long. Oh, you don't even feel like it. Like, he does. He reads like, yes, he held Luanda under for two seconds too long. And then three seconds too long. And Reed and Jean-Luc are literally like, what the fuck? And they both run into the water trying to like make sure the Archbishop does not drown Lou. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. Like The Archbishop is low-key crazy. Yeah, he is. I think he's just had a really long day. He's like, I was meant to go do the theatre with my best friend, and now he is an adulterer and an abuser. (laughs) This is just the best week ever. And so I think he's had it for a little bit. Yes. And I think, again, this is from Reed's perspective, so we really can't make any conclusive statements. But I suspect Lou kind of gets herself free a little bit when, you know, Jean Luc and Reed go into the water, and she uses her magic and makes the Archbishop fall into the water. Oh, yeah, she definitely had something to do with it. Mm. <laughs> like, as if <laughs> she did it. She's like, when he let it rip. Anyways, the whole time during this, Reed does not want to do it at all. Very understandable. And then so after the baptism, during the ceremony, I don't know, I just think he's so hesitant about everything, but he just knows he has no choice, so begrudgingly, he's just doing everything. I think also, I'm pretty sure Lou, like, holds his hand gently or something, and reads like, oh my god, it's not even just about me anymore, like, she really doesn't want to do this either. Yeah. Like, we're both in this together, she doesn't want to do it, I don't want to do it, maybe we can make the best out of the situation and become friends, or something like that. Yeah, this is where my favourite trope started to develop, when people are forced to be in a situation together. Love it. We find out that Lou's full name is Louise Margot LaRue. Yes, which literally translates to the streets. And the Archbishop's like, it's literally the name that thugs use on the streets. Are you sure that's your real name? And she's like, I'm living the thug life, okay? Uh, Back away from me, Archie. (laughs) Yeah, she's literally like, "Uh, yep, that's my name, I promise you. And he's like, okay, well, it better be because if you're using a fake name, the marriage is not a legitimate marriage. Yeah, exactly. And so they do the I do's and they're married. But Mm -hmm. in order for it to become official, the archbishop's like, you gotta consummate the marriage, otherwise it's not binding. And I guess at that time, Lou and Reed's probably like, oh, cool, we'll just tell him we did it, like... You know, seven minutes, in and would just like, yeah, we made out. But no, he was like, there is a witness that will be there to confirm. So I think they're both like, damn it. Yes. So we switch back to Lou's perspective finally, and they head back to the Chasseurs' tower. And at the door, one of the Chasseurs is like, stop right there, who are you? And Reed's like, oh, uh, this is my wife. And they're like, I beg your pardon, you literally were completely single when you went out this morning. And also, she, that thief... <laughs> Exactly. And they're on the way to Reed's room, and he's like, so where are your belongings? And Lou's like, oh, I've got none. Like, I literally live on the streets. I guess they just keep on walking, and they go past the stairwell thing, and Lou's like, oh, what's up there? And he's like, oh, nothing, 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 don't go up there. Uh, I mean, not exactly, but that's definitely what he insinuates. Yeah. And so they enter his room, and the whole time it's super awkward because... You know, he's, like, trying not to touch her. And Lou says that his room is basically a matchbox. There's, like, nothing in there. There's, like, a bed. And that's basically it. Like, the necessities. It's very, like, military-esque. And so because they're quite drenched from, you know, the Archbishop almost drowning her completely, (laughs) I guess Reed's like, oh, I need to take my jacket off. Like, it's soaking. I gotta, you know, I gotta lean it somewhere so it can air dry overnight. And so he's like, I'm just taking my jacket off. And Lou's like, no, don't take any clothes off. I don't want to consummate. But Reed's like, no, I'm not going to try anything on you. I literally just need to take this off so I can dry it. So I'm not like a wet dog, like in my own room. Exactly. And she's like, no, 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 really stop. And he's like, Louise. And she's like, don't call me Louise. Yeah. Uh, my name is Lou. And he's like, that is a man's name. And you, my friend, are not a man no she's not and so I feel like this whole thing is not going to plan like a husband and wife like in love because they don't really have many things in common and it's already started off really rocky and he's at a position of power and she's a criminal which he mentions he's like you're literally a criminal like how did we get ourselves in this situation and she's like really not wanting to be touched she just wants to be left alone And he's basically saying, like, I don't want to touch you. Like, I don't want to do anything like that. And I think he sees, like, her scars or, like, something on her face. And he just says, like, from now on, no man will ever touch you like that again. So you don't have to worry. Which is very nice. And I think she might have been either relieved or just, like, a bit more settled. So... I guess her brain's switching on again, and she's like, alright, how are we going to make it look like we've consummated our marriage without having to do it, because I don't want to sleep with him, and he definitely doesn't want to sleep with me. Like, he's so mad at me right now, because I threw him in this situation. Yeah, and she's like, okay, well, here's the solution, and she just, like, grabs one of his knives, I think, and cuts her arm open and drips some blood onto the sheets. Yeah, she cocos it. (laughs) But the blood doesn't do anything. It's just there, you know, to make it look like she's lost her virginity. Because obviously, she's a cute little virgin. (laughs) Of course. Spending her Thursday nights at a brothel. Obviously, her arm bleeds quite a bit. So she, like, takes off her dress so she. Because it has blood all over it. Yeah. And he's like, Oh my gosh, how dare you take off your clothes in the presence of a man? And he's, like, all blushy and awkward and stuff. She's also like, I literally have no belongings. I have no clothes. Like, what are we going to do now? Yeah. And I think he, like, lends her his shirt or something. Yeah. And he heads off to somewhere else so he doesn't see her get changed. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And whilst he's away, she is poking around the room. Because she's such a sticky beak. And in one of his drawers, she sees all these love letters between him and Celie. And she's like, ooh, this is very saucy. This is the tea. It is the tea. I think she ends up just leaving them. And she goes to the bathtub. And... Because she really does not want to sleep with Reed. Yeah, it's nighttime now, like, they're both exhausted and I think they're really getting ready for bed now. And Reed comes back and he's like, why are you in there? And she's like, I was just sleeping, because I don't want to share a bed with you. And he's like, I literally cannot allow this. You can take the bed and I'll take the floor. And she's like, I don't want your bed. And he's like, well, I'm going to sleep on the floor anyway. So I'm pretty sure she literally just sleeps in the bath and he sleeps on the floor and no one sleeps in the bed. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. They're both stubborn, but in their own like quirky little ways. Exactly. And she's kind of like, so what are the rules? Like, what am I allowed to do? And he's basically like, for now, I want you to stay in this tower until you know how to behave yourself. Because obviously, their first meeting, she said ass. She said the A word. So he's not super comfortable with her presenting herself in society as his wife, like Madame Diggory, until she learns how to behave herself and be a proper gentlewoman. And... This point is reiterated because she keeps on swearing, and I think her swearing is like ass, like I don't give a damn, like go to hell, stuff like that, but it makes him really mad and it makes him super uncomfortable because, again, he's grown up very conservative. Mm-hmm. So we switch back to Reed's perspective, and he's super sore from sleeping on the floor because it's the next morning, and yeah, he's just not vibing, and he's really regretting being so chivalrous. He's like, I should I just take in the bed? Yes. And so he goes to training because, you know, they're soldiers and him and the boys are all gossiping and they're like, oh, you get much sleep last night, bruh. Like, they're just saying all the stuff like that. And they're basically just teasing him like, I can't believe you, you know, got framed for abuse or whatever. They're just saying all that stuff. And so this whole time... So Lee doesn't leave his mind, and he doesn't forget about the letters or anything. He's just feeling guilty, especially with the boys teasing. It probably wouldn't make him feel great. But after training, the Archbishop is basically like, Alright, Reed, this is also why I wanted you to get married. Because I need you to interrogate your wife about any potential witches that you know, because she's definitely not a witch. And so Reed's like, all right, cool. I'll grab her for ya," because I told her to stay in the tower. So where's she going to be? In the tower. So he goes into his room and he doesn't see Lou there. And he's like, I gave you one job And in his head, he's like ranting. He's like, of course I shouldn't have trusted her. Like, she's so annoying. I've got to find you now. But then he like turns around and she's like leaning against the doorframe. Like, yo, you're back from your training. Nice, brother. And he is shocked because she's just rocked up wearing a cloak and pants. And, like, ladies at that time don't wear pants. Like, I think in the book it was described as, like, her, like, shapely legs. Like, you can actually see it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And also, even the first time they met, remember Reed's like, where is the corset? Where are the skirts? Yeah, she ain't gonna be wearing no corset. Exactly. So the fact that she's wearing pants, he's like, what is this sorcery? Exactly. And Reed's like, anyways, um, you're like, naked in front of me basically but why were you not in your room and she's like i went out to get a cinnamon sticky bun i went out to get that and he's like oh but he's still pretty angry because she wasn't meant to leave the tower like them sticky buns ain't in the chasseur's tower i don't catch chasseurs just munching on sticky buns in the morning and so he's just got very traditional views of marriage and his. Really strong belief is that a woman should do anything her man says and obey him, and I think the fact that he specifically said, stay in the room, that's what he's most mad about. He's not mad about the sticky buns. No. He wanted some. He's probably mad she didn't get him any. Yeah, but like the main reason is because he specifically said, don't leave, and she did it anyway. Exactly. But the point is, she still came back, so I guess he's a little bit confused about that too. But he kinda gets over it because he's like, there's an interrogation slash meeting that you need to go to. It's in the dungeon. And so they get ready for this meeting and I guess this is when Lou meets like all of his brothers, meaning like people. The other that he's, Yeah, he's really close with they're like a brotherhood. And they're all kinda staring at Lou and they're really weird about everything. Because they don't quite know how to act. Like, they don't know how to approach this situation. (laughs) They're like, what is a woman? Yeah, exactly. What is this? She wearing pants. What's happening? Lou was very progressive for her time. Yes, very progressive. I love her. I think she's such a great protagonist. She does annoy me a little bit, but like, mostly I really enjoy her wit and snark. Me too. She annoys me less than most protagonists I've read. So I really like that. But the interrogation is just kind of a general one about witches. And every now and then they're like, Lou, you know anything about it? And Lou's like, nah. I I don't know what witches are. Oh, Witches? How do you even spell that? Like, I have no idea. I don't speak French. Like, I don't know what's happening. And they're like, well, if we say these names, can you just tell us if, like, they're witches or not? Or if you get a bad vibe from them? And they're just trying to find as much information as possible. But Lou's basically playing games. Like, they can tell that Luz they're like, oh, what is water? Like, I don't know if the sky is blue, I just don't know. And so Reed's angry, one, because she's not helping and this is his job to hunt down these people, and two, she's meant to be his wife, so I feel like he's a bit frustrated at her for that reason. Definitely. So after they get back from the meeting, we're obviously still in Luz's perspective, and she's kind of just rehashing what went on in the meeting. And she'd basically just given them abbreviated version of what happened. Like she told them how Coco and herself eavesdropped on Tomblay and Madame La and how you know they'd planned to rob him that night and they'd stolen from his vault. Yeah, she straight up like aired out Baz. She's like, I didn't even you know try to cover up his name. I was like, yeah, his name is Baz. Yeah, yeah, good. She wants. She's still salty, obviously. She's, she's holding so a grudge. So salty. And yeah, she basically just says he pocketed everything when the chasseurs arrived. And then when she was trying to run away, Andre and Gru jumped her in the alleyway and they'd almost killed her, and she, like, makes a big emphasis of that, and they kind of, I guess, take pity on her a bit. They're like, oh, fragile woman jumped by two men. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, even though she overpowered them and they, like, begged her for their lives. Exactly. But it's fine. She didn't say that bit. And when she gets back to the room, she takes a bath because she's absolutely exhausted, and she's about to hop in, and Reed's like, hang on a second, got some stuff to discuss. And she's like, mm, like, what? And he's like, your new arrangements. And she's like, w- uh, I what? Yeah. She's confused. She's like, what arrangements are you talking about? He's like, you disobeyed me this morning. I told you not to leave the tower. And she's like, damn. And he's basically like, so I got you a babysitter. <laughs> basically, a babysitter who's younger than her. Exactly. So we find out that Ansel is the babysitter. And Lou's like, bring him in then. Um, I hope he's handsome. Reads Reed's like, why would he need to be handsome? Like, <laughs> what was the reason? Yeah, what was the reason? And she's like, well, we are going to be spending a lot of time together on chaperones. She's literally trying to get him to like take it back. Exactly. And Reed's like, uh, he is your chaperone. And she's like, right, well, you know, do continue. And he's like, his name is Ansel, he's 16. Lou's like, oh, a bit young. And Reed's like, he's capable, I, you know, he's a great guy. And Lou's like, I like them young. It's easier to train them that way. Perhaps I'll give him his first kiss? No, I'll do him one better. I'll give him his first fuck. And Reed (laughs) chokes. He's like, "Uh, uh, what did you just say? You just said the F word. Lou's basically like, oh, please, don't pretend you aren't secretly saucy. I've read all your love letters. Yeah, I feel like that was not great form for Lou, because then she literally, like, finds the journal. Like, finds Celie's journal. I just laughed so hard. He's literally written, like, a whole ass biography on Celie. Yeah. Like, February 12th, God took special care in forming Sully. He's simping hard. I long to look upon her face again. Surely there's nothing more beautiful in the whole world than her smile, except, of course, her eyes or her love. Or her lips. And Lou's like, oh, thinking of a woman's mouth, Shas? Scandalous. Whoa. Like, she's making him feel really embarrassed. And she just keeps on going on. She's like, but I fear I'm being selfish. Celie has made it clear that my purpose is with the Brotherhood, though I admire her selflessness. I cannot bring myself to agree with her. Any solution that separates us is not a solution at all. <laughs> and Reed's like banging on the bathroom door. He's like, open this door. I'm warning you. And she's like, all righty. Calm down, mate. Yeah. And she's like, you're, you're warning me? What are you going to do? Are you going to like break down the door? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Reed literally just, like, smashes the whole door in. Um, And Lou's like, "Oh, chill. <laughs> strong cool. man. Very strong man. He was described as a very, very buff man. Exactly. And then Ansel comes in, and it's great timing, because the newlyweds have just had a fight. And this little... 16 year old is meant to guard Lou, which he's I think so unequipped for this. He is and he's also unequipped to like interact with women. Like if Reed can't even do it, why would Ansel be able to do it better? Well, to be fair, I think Reed's got duties he has to do. Like he doesn't have time to be dealing with wicked women. Yeah, that's... Yeah, wicked women. That's true. I think Lou is taking this to her advantage. Like, she's being quite annoying. She's, like, talking all the time to Ansel, like, trying to distract him... And she's also like, so your name is Ansel Diggory, and my husband's name is Reed Diggory. So, are you two brothers? Like, how are you related? And he's like, Diggory is the surname that's given to all unwanted children, or like orphans. It's like Smith, how you call like the unknowns John Smith and Jane Doe or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think she's like, all right, story checks out. Like, that's sad, but I'm not attached yet to like, think anything. Give me a tour of the tower. And I think she's remembering the first time that she was there. And she's like, what's up there? And he's like, don't go there. Mm -hmm. And so she wants to, like, go there. And Ansel's like, no, we're going to stay here. Like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to disobey. And so she starts, like, singing this song. (laughs) Please don't subject me. I could tell you were, like, breathing. And I was like, oh, my God, she's going (laughs) to sing it. Don't do it. I was ready. I I even, in the audio book, I had to listen to it to see what they sung. And they didn't really sing it. But I made up a melody to it, and I think it's really important. Okay, fine. You can share it with us all. Okay. <laughs> I sung it to you the other day. You enjoyed it. Did I, or did I block you out and then was like, oh, good job, No, you'd finished. I think you loved it. Alright, here we go. <laughs> big Titty Liddy was not very pretty, but her bosom was big as a barn. <laughs> So that's the first oh, half. Oh, you're not you're not doing the full thing? <laughs> yeah, I am. Oh, okay. okay. was saying that the first half, and Ansel's like, stop, stop, stop. And then she's like, no. And so she's like, her creamy knockers drove men of their rockers, but she was blind to their charms. And Ansel's like, traumatized. Because he's like, I don't know who Big Titty Little is. He's literally 16. And he's like, oh my god, I know. He's... Like, yeah, he's full-on traumatized by Lou. These people can't even handle the word "ass" being said. So I feel like it's quite an inappropriate thing to expose a 16-year-old boy to. Exactly. this. Yeah, he's being corrupted through this song. Yes, he is. And he's like, okay, 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 I'll take you on this tour. Just stop singing that song. And, you know, as they're kind of passing by that tower bit, she basically makes a break for it. She's like, I'm off. i got to check out what's going on here. And they kind of wrestle each other, and they eventually make their way up. And yeah, obviously Ansel's like super panicked and stressed, because probably the only instruction he was given was, like, do not let her go up into the top of the tower. Yeah. And don't let her get them sticky buns from out of town. (laughs) Exactly. And they hear a woman's voice, and she's basically like, oh, stop, she's coming to help me! And then Lou turns around, and it's Coco. Yay! And she's like, oh, I'm Madame Perot, who allegedly is one of the maids at the tower. yes, Lous like shook. she's like, what are you doing here?" And so Coco leads her to the infirmary, and I think Lou's a little bit freaked out by the patients in there because they're not like normal like injured patients. I think they've got some mental stuff going on. Yes, from what I understand, all the patients are people who have been affected by magic, yes. And we also hear that the priest has a special room where they experiment on people who they think are witches. And they really want to find out where the magic comes from. So you can imagine how intense that experiment Exactly, would exactly. Be. And I think they're also trying to work out how to nullify the magic of the witches. Yes, exactly. And so at this point, Lou and Coco finally get to have a little catch up because I think everyone in the infirmary is like in a coma or something. Lou's like, why are you here? and Why are they calling you this? And Coco's like, you got married and I wasn't maid of honor? Like, they're just having, like, a fun little, like, catch up, I guess, in this really intense situation. Lou's like, you would have obviously been my maid of honor. And so Coco explains her situation and is like, oh, I heard that, you know, Madame Perrault was meant to turn up, so I waited here instead and just, like, referred her to another place, like, either in the tower or another part of town. And now she's here as Madame Perrault. That's a pretty good sneaky move there. Good on her. I love Coco. I think she's really bold. I think so too. So we continue on with Lou's perspective and she's chilling in the bath again, her fave spot, and Reed walks in and like freaks out and like starts choking and whatnot. Because she's naked. Yeah. And that is too much for Reed's innocent eyes, obviously. Yes. And he comes back from probably like a day of work and witch hunting and stuff, and it's just saying, like, oh, I want to catch them witches... I don't know where they're from. Damn. And Lou's like, yeah, those witches, like that those sucks. nasty people. Oh, they're nasty. Yeah. And Reed's like, yeah, I know, right? Anyways, uh, and then he notices that she's got like scars all over her body, and he's kind of like, oh, where, where did you get those? And she's kind of like, oh, I don't know, like it just happens, like <laughs> it streets. just happens. Yeah, uh, it just rocked up one day. <laughs> exactly, it just literally happens. And he's like, oh, okay. Anyways, um, you know that guy who was calling out your name? I think his name's Baz. Anyways, uh, we caught him. <laughs> and Lou on the outside is probably like, oh, okay. But on the inside, she's like, he's going to spill all of our secrets. Literally. She's so anxious. She's like, oh, he's going to tell them everything because Baz just fends for his own and whatnot. Yeah. Like yeah. a street kid usually does. Exactly. And she's basically like, I got to go find him. And make sure he doesn't blab. Yeah, exactly. And so, she obviously looks a little bit stressed, and he's basically like, uh, are you gonna be okay? <laughs> You're looking a little pale there. Yeah. And so she's washing her hair, and he's basically like, I guess like helping her, because she's yeah. probably really stressed. I think she probably looks really shaken up. Yeah, I think it's the first time he's like actually touched her. Mm. Oh well. <laughs> spice rating. <laughs> no. A tiny bit of spice. Anyways, so after this bath, Ansel comes in because it's his time to babysit. It's his shift that he's working. And Lou really, really needs to go and clear things up with Baz and make sure that he's not going to say anything. So she kind of, like, takes advantage of him. She definitely, like, taps into her magic a little bit and she's like, I missed you. And he's like, "Uh, okay. And she's like, you're so strong, so worthy. They've made a mistake in underestimating you. And... It's described as, like, confusion, panic, and desire crossing Ansel's face. And she's basically like, I see the greatness in you, Ansel. You'll kill many witches. Will you help me? And he, like, nods. And she's like, thank you, Ansel. And then she makes him lead her to the dungeon, where, obviously, Baz is there. Yes. And Baz sees her, and he's like, oh my god, thank god you're here. Um, They're gonna hang me if I don't tell them about Coco. Can you do anything? Lou's like doing her magic thing and Baz is like, Oh my god, what are you doing? I'm sorry I left you at Tom Blaze, like, ooh, I'm not as brave or clever as you guys. I you know was wrong of me, yada yada yada. Yeah, he was weak. And he's like begging her now. And she does one last bit of magic and he basically forgets everything about Lou and Coco. So he can't even divulge information to the chasseurs about them. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess protects him and her at the same time. Yes. So basically, she's like, I'm gonna free you from this cage. All I ask for in return is your memories. And yeah, so she takes them and off he goes. And Lou's super weak now. And she also takes the memory of the event from Ansel's mind. And then she's so, yeah, she's so weak and she just like faints on Ansel. (laughs) Yeah, basically, Ansel's probably like waking up from this weird. Well, he wasn't asleep, but, you know, coming yeah, yeah. out of, like, a weird memory loss thing. is like, oh, Lou's in my arms. Exactly. <laughs> and Lou finally wakes up, and she's not feeling great. The cell doors open, but she can't see any sign of Ansel stirring. Like, he's pretty out cold. Oh, yeah. And she starts to hear these voices next to the cells, I guess. And she's like, oh, we got to get out of here. So she, like, grabs Ansel and drags him up to the library. Yes. And at this point, Antil finally wakes up a little bit, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, why are we in the library? Like, I, I thought that we no, were No, he's just- like, where are we? Yeah, like, what are we doing? And Lou comes up with like the best cover story, she was just like, oh, you wanted to teach me all these things, and so we went into the library, you must have just, like, zoned out or something. You okay, bro? Because you we were together the whole time in this library, the whole time. Exactly. And then Jean-Luc comes in and he's like, it was you, wasn't it? You did this. You let the prisoner escape. And she's like, oh, what are you talking about? That never would have happened. I would never. And then Reed comes in and he's like, uh, what's that smell? And then Coco comes in. Obviously the magic's coming with her and she's like, oh, you know, I was just working upstairs in the tower. Yeah, and and you know how it it smells like witches up there. Exactly. And jean looks like, uh, who are you? And she's like, oh, my name is Brie Perrault. I'm the new healer in the infirmary. And yeah, I don't know. It's a bit awkward. And he's like, you shouldn't be here. And she's like, yeah, I know, but your wife, you know, we were talking and, you know, Ansel escorted her down here. Isn't that right? And he's like, yep, that's totally correct. That's what I did. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Exactly. And Reed is kind of complaining about Ansel at this point. He's like, why are you so irresponsible, like, you should have done this, you should have done that. And Lou's like, no, Ansel was great. We were literally here. He's a really, really good, like, soldier. But Reed is still mad. And we get the sense that he might be mad about something else, but he's just kind of taking it out on Ansel. You know, Jean-Luc and Reed are pretty salty because Lou obviously lied to them because Madame Belle has just come forward and told them that the witch's name is Cosette Monvoisin. And Lou's like, oh, heck, they've found my ruse. But, you know, either way, they're pretty salty. And Lou's pretty salty because they always knew they couldn't really trust Madame LaBelle. But Reed is really, really mad about it because he's like, you should have given us the right name. Why do you not do anything right? Like, he's just getting really rattled up. And he's like, and you're trying to protect this, like, Kazet person. And you're also trying to protect Baz, like, your lover. Like, what else can we do? Like, he's just... Getting super mad about it. So continuing on with Lou's perspective, I think it's like a bit of a lads meeting or something and they're all just like hanging out and Lou's sitting there just like so done with everything. And the Archbishop's like, I remember the first time I hit a bullseye in archery. And Reed's like, oh yes, yes, oh oh, yes. And Lou's like, this is literally the most boring thing I've ever experienced. Typical wife duties. Exactly. Listening to the husband. And still in this kind of meeting service, I guess, the Archbishop is going on and on about like all these Bible verses and yes, so they're about to begin this service and they go to the church and the Archbishop gets up to speak and all the chasseurs stand up and Lou's like, oh my God, we have to stand for the entire service. And Reed's like, have you never attended mass before? And she's like, oh, of course I have. I'm a good God believing woman. Yeah, I'm no witch. Exactly. And Reed's basically like, oh, it's chill, don't worry, the chasseurs stand as an act of humility. This whole kind of service goes by, and it's just a whole lot of, Lord, have mercy, and all that, after every little sermon thing is given. So the service keeps on going on, and a little bit of it sticks in Lou's mind. It basically says, as in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. And Lou's like, oi, Reed, what does this mean? And he's like, well, it's like water's a mirror. And, I don't know, he's kind of like, come on, as if you don't know this really cryptic riddle. Yeah gosh, Lou. And he basically just says, it reflects our faces back to us and our lives, the way we live and the things we do. They water basically reflects our hearts. And she's like, yeah, I like that. That's nice. Story checks out. Exactly. And then Reed apologizes. He's like, I'm sorry. I shouted earlier at you in the library. Really sorry. And she's like, yeah, no, all good. We made a mistake. It's fine. And so the next morning, Reed wakes up, And just like every day since he's just consummated his marriage, his back is incredibly sore. (laughs) The fact that you say consummated as if they actually did it. (laughs) Yeah, they did. I'm sure they did. Obviously, he's still sleeping on the floor. Lou is still sleeping without him. On the bed. On the bed. She's on the bed now. She's no longer in the bathtub. She's like, oh, I don't want to mix, you know, bathing with sleeping, so <laughs> better separate the two. Exactly. And so she's just waking up in the morning, and the first thing she does is just complain about all these Christian books that he's got in his room. I think she, he, she's just literally so bored in this place. She's looking yeah. for anything to do, and she's like, maybe I'll read a book. Oh, look. Holy Bibles. Exactly. And reads like, oh... There is actually a book that I think you might like, and it's called La Vie Éphémère. And the story is kind of like a mirror of their lives. I think the two protagonists, they start off and they have to be forced into some sort of agreement or marriage. And they fall in love and they're kind of like battling life together. But the only thing is they die at the end. And Lou's like, they die at the this end. This literally scared me so much because the whole time I was reading this, I was like, yeah, 100%, this is a reflection of their life. Someone's going to die. And I was, like, so anxious. Right. And she's like, what's the point? Like, what's the point if it ends in death? But he's just fully fangirling. He's like, oh, my gosh, and I love this scene with this person. Like, he's like, I really suggest this book to you. She's like, why would I even read this? Like, is there even a love scene? Like, do they have sex? And reads like, oh, yeah. And he's, like, blushing, yeah. and she's like, oh, I'm Ooh. definitely going to read this book. Yeah, and so she's super excited, and she, like, grabs it from him and flicking through it, and as she's flicking through it, reads like, I couldn't help it, I smiled too. It's so cute. It is so cute. And now Lou's kind of fangirling over the book, which I love, and it also takes up more of her time, and so she's not singing Big Titty Liddy anymore, she's just uh, fangirling over this new book. Can relate. Yeah. And Ansel then comes in and interrupts, just saying, like, Madame Belle, your bestie is downstairs. So Madame LaBelle wants to talk to Lou. We're not sure what yet, but reads like, I better, uh, go with ya. Escort you. Better escort you. And she's like a funny woman, but you get the sense that no one really likes her and they kind of just want her to leave. Definitely. And so Reed's like dragging Lou away, he's like, I think we're done here now, Like, I think it's okay. And at the last minute Madame LaBelle lunges and grabs Lou and whispers something in her ear. And Reed's like, what? And he like grabs Lou and quickly whisks her out of there. Yeah, it became chaotic really quickly. So after this slightly traumatic encounter, Lou's kind of like tossing and turning afterwards in bed, and she's remembering someone saying, I'm coming for you, darling. I'm coming for you. So someone's obviously chasing her down. And there's a lot of things going on in her head. And then we find out what Madame Labelle said desperately to her as they were dragging her away, which is, she's coming. So we get the sense that someone is coming for her, someone's hunting her down, and it's making Lou really unsettled. And so she can't really sleep, she's thinking about a lot of stuff, and there's nothing that's going to calm her. So I guess the only way that she's going to be able to settle herself and go to sleep is apparently crawling onto the floorboards to give her husband a light spoon. (laughs) A little bit of a snuggle. Yeah, it was at this point where I I knew. If you've read the book, you'll know what I'm talking about. But I was like, hmm, I know exactly who's coming for you. Yeah, yeah, I did and I thought it was someone else, but it's fine. (laughs) Anyways, the next morning she wakes up and she's incredibly really embarrassed about the floor spooning, or maybe that she's, like, stooped to a level or something like that. I think she was more just like, I'm a strong, independent woman, as if I needed a man's help. Yeah. And also, I think, like, her clothing, like, her nightgown or something was, like, bunched up around her waist. Like, something like that that left her out yeah, she's a little indecent. Yeah, a little indecent. Even though she's, like, stark naked in front of him in the bath, like, every two days. Yeah. And I don't think Reed knew what was going on, because he wakes up like, it's a beautiful day. And she's like, yes, it definitely is. Like, back on the bed, like, hi, I slept here the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> Me? On the floor with you? Oh, no, never. Yeah, no, that was Ansel. He got a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And Reed's like, all right, anyways, um, you know that book that I wanted you to read? Uh, there's a show showing it at the theatre, and I really want to take you. Cute. Nice little date. Their first date as husband and wife. Exactly. Their first (laughs) date ever. (laughs) Yeah, true. Anyway, and he kind of noticed she seems a little bit off at this point, and he's like, mm, you're good, and she just kind of, you know, says nothing and just ignores him, and he ends up just leaving. So then Ansel pokes his head around the corner into the room, and he finds Lou, like, frantically looking for something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, bro, what's up? What are you looking for? And she's like, a weapon, like a knife or something. And he's like, why do you need a knife? And she's like, what if, like, I don't know, someone like, I don't know, Madame LaBelle or someone like, comes and attacks me again. I need to be able to protect myself. And Ansel's like, nah, bro, I got you. You don't need a weapon. It's <laughs> Ansel, fine. the apprentice, who literally yeah. isn't even a chasseur. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, Lou's pretty salty that Reed's hidden all the knives, and she's like, I'm gonna go find him and demand a knife. So they head to look in the council room, and they actually bump into Jean-Luc instead. And he's like, good morning, thief. What can I do for you? And she's like, I'm looking for my husband, but he's not here, so if you just excuse me, I'll be on my way. And he's like, nah, stay a while. I need a break anyway. What do you need from our dear, dear captain? And Lou's like, uh, a knife, actually. Would really love a knife. (laughs) Yeah. And Jean-Luc basically tells Lou that the Archbishop kind of sees himself in Reed, like they were both orphans and all that, but the Archbishop created himself from nothing, his life, work, his title, his influence, he fought for all of it, and he's planning to give it all to Reed, pretty much, for nothing. And Lou's like, are you jealous, my friend? Are you jealous? Yeah. And he's like, oh, mm, "Up, uh, mm, why? Like... You know, obviously he is. Oh, yeah. He's definitely jealous of Reed in general. Like, he's he's such a fake friend. Yeah, he is. And also, I feel like he works really hard, too. So, if he says, like, oh, he's basically offering to Reed for nothing, that means that he works really hard and he's done everything, but he's never going to get it. And Jean-Luc's like, so, you want a knife? What's in it for me? And she's like, it's simple. Give me a knife uh, and it'll annoy the hell out of my husband. And I know you just want to poke some fun at Reed. And he's like, Oh, you really are a clever little witch, aren't you? And she just like freezes for a second, and just a second too late, she's like, Ah ha ha ha, ah, you know, off I go, yada yada yada. What's a witch? <laughs> yeah, what is a witch? But yeah, it's more like a Ah ha ha ha, you know, that's so funny of you, as if I would be a witch. And then she heads off, but she just knows that she hesitated too long, and Jean Luc is probably onto her now. Yeah, exactly. So they're, like, walking to the infirmary, Ansel and Lou, and she's like, I think Mademoiselle Perrault will be here today. And he's like, will she? Because Ansel obviously has such a big crush on her at this he point. He He's, so like, cute. in love. He's like, so will she let me visit the patients with you today? And Lou's like, "Oh, uh, less likely to happen. And he's a bit sulky. And basically they arrive, and he's like, hello, Mademoiselle Perrault. And she's like, goodbye, Ansel, and shuts the door in his face. <laughs> and Lou's like, "Ah, oh, he likes you. You should be nicer to him. And she's like, that's why I'm not encouraging him. Like, the poor boy is far too good for me. Oh. And I'm like, oh, bless. So they're practicing magic to get stronger because... I think Lou's just so out of practice. Yes. And the more you practice, the easier it is. It's, it's like, like training makes a muscle. Perfect. That's right. And they practice magic in, like, a patient's room. Mm-hmm. And it's Bernie's room. And oh, he's our friend like, Bernie. Literally. And he's literally lying there. And Lou's like... Magic is really hard. <laughs> it's yeah. just really difficult. And whilst all this is happening, they're also kind of debriefing, and Lou's like, ah, uh, so Madame LaBelle came and confronted me. She's after me. And Coco's like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of, you know, obviously they both know something the reader does not know. Yes. And then after this, they kind of come out, and I think they're just saying goodbye or something, like, oh, yeah, good plan. Can't believe we're, you know, secret witches, lol. hmm And then Father Orville comes in, and he's one of the doctors, and he's kind of just explaining Bernie's situation, you know, since they're in his room. Exactly. He's like, oh, I see you two are concerned for our dear Monsieur Bernard. Last night, uh, someone found him attempting to jump out of the window. Yeah, and they're like, oh, and we thought our life was hard. Exactly. And Father Orville like, has the syringe, and he ends up just putting it into Bernie's arm and pushing the trigger, injecting this kind of poison thing. And Bernie's looking pretty vacant, he's not looking good. And Father Orville's like, yeah, he's going to drift off to sleep soon. Uh, might I suggest we leave him in peace? And Coco's like, oh, of course, Father, come on, Lou, let's go read some proverbs. Yes. And that is the end of the first half of Serpent and Dove. Yes, I believe the next one will start off and they're heading towards the play, La Vie en Exactly. So hopefully we'll get this out by the end of the week. Yes. We'll keep you guys updated, as always. What did you feel about the first half of it? I honestly love this book so much. I read it in a day. I was yeah. so hooked. I love witchy books. I love a good enemies to lovers. I love it when people go undercover and the other person doesn't know, except I hate it when they Oh, like, the final reveal yes, happens. Because they always have a bond and it's just like, oh, my heart wrenches. It's yeah, so sad. Yeah, I get you, I get you. But we haven't gotten to that bit yet, so it's ending off really nicely <laughs> It's for all me. happy now. Yeah. Anyways, we really hope you enjoyed this first episode of the week. And we can't wait to bring you a really exciting second one. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this book as much as we are. And thank you so much for listening to TBR. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.